0: well amen as many of you know uh we've been praying together as a church consistently on wednesday nights for several months and uh i have no doubt that that is the will of god i've felt that very clearly from the lord and still do and uh, i'm also grateful for the folks that have come to me and and reinforced that conviction by what they felt from the spirit of the lord as well Not that we necessarily need that, but it doesn't hurt to have somebody come and say, we think you're right on track, Pastor. It doesn't hurt. But um, the reports that I have received from our ladies' prayer meetings, obviously not attending, as well as my observations from our men's prayer meetings are reflecting to me that God is calling us to prayer and that he is meeting with us powerfully when we do. And uh, at our last men's prayer night a week or two back, Brother Peter spoke to us and challenged us about prayer. And uh, I don't know about the other men that were there, but I thought what he had to say was excellent. And it also confirmed for me the direction that I believe the Lord has given me for this morning. And I've known what I was going to teach for several weeks, but with being absent, as well as having visiting ministry, it hasn't really come about until today. That's, that's how it works. That's okay. I'm glad for visiting ministry. Amen. I'm glad that God has set the church up so that there are different... Callings, different ministries and different functions in His body that contribute different things that we need. I mean, just like our natural diet, we need a variety of different things. We do that spiritually as well. Amen. And so, this morning I'm going to begin to teach on prayer. And uh, it's probably going to take... I'm going to start with two services and see where we go uh, to cover what I want to teach. But I'm hoping to increase or at least affirm our understanding both spiritually and practically i want to do some practical teaching as well and uh, we're going to start by the time we're done this morning you might say well what does that have to do with prayer but hopefully we'll, we'll build a little bit of a platform that might be a little different from what we might usually do when we teach on prayer but this is where i god's been speaking to me about it so let's just pray one more time and then we're going to read some scripture father we thank you for the privilege of prayer Lord God, we thank you, Lord, that we're able to lift our voices to you, that you hear us. Lord God, not only that you hear us, but that you care for us, that you speak to us, that you know, Lord God, even when we struggle to articulate clearly, God, you know our hearts and you desire us to be a people of prayer. You said that your house would be a house of prayer, but Lord, we also know that prayer needs to be much beyond this house and be in our own houses, Lord God, we pray so, Father, we just ask you as we begin this series of lessons that you would help us, Lord God, not to simply learn, but also to do. Lord God, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Prayer, Prayer is relationship. Prayer is the primary, I don't think it's inaccurate to say, the primary form of communication between God and his people, individually, particularly. And like all relationships, there are things that are personal. Uh, I guess the easy relationship we can point to is the marriage relationship. Everybody's, not everybody's marriages are exactly the same. But there are some foundational things that are there if it's a good marriage. Okay, we're, we're, all not, we're not carbon copies one of another. But there are principles from the scripture that form a strong foundation. And then on top of that, we have our own little personal strangenesses. I don't think that's a word, but we'll make one this morning. And prayer is much the same. Your relationship with God is unique between you and God. But at the same time, there are foundations that should be in all of our prayer lives. And so that's some of what we're looking to cover in the next... Well, it won't be next Sunday because the ladies will be ministering, but today and possibly the Sunday after that, The Lord doesn't return in between. And if He does, we won't need to pray. So that'll be okay. Amen. But Matthew chapter 26, starting to read at verse 36, says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And He took with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith He unto them, My soul... Is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. Saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen. This passage in Matthew contains what I think are some wonderful insights into prayer as a subject. Firstly, we see Jesus praying, not as one part of God praying to another, but from the genuine humanity that he had, he prayed we see the disciples struggling to stay awake and any of us that have tried to pray regularly know how that can be on a cold rainy winter's morning it seems extra hard to slip those feet out from under the doona onto that floor and if you've got carpet that's okay but your bathroom has probably got a cold floor and you've got to go there sooner or later we see a vital purpose for prayer in this passage the need to resist temptation and to overcome the weakness of the flesh And as Jesus prayed, we see him very understandably shrink back from what lay ahead of him in the coming hours, but yet at the same time surrender to the will of the Father. And what we also see, well, what this passage leads us up to is the ultimate purpose of the incarnation. I'm going to be using that word incarnation a lot this morning, as that's Possibly one of the main focuses of this lesson. So, if you're not familiar with that word, when we speak about the incarnation, when we're talking about Jesus Christ, we are talking about the expression of the invisible God in flesh, or as Colossians describes Him, the image of the invisible God. Uh, Incarnation. You can, if you're into studying words, you can break that down, and you'll find that carne is in there, which is to do with meat and flesh. And so when we use that word incarnation in a biblical sense like this, we are talking about God being manifest in the flesh. Amen. And the ultimate purpose of why He was manifest in the flesh, of why the incarnation took place, is happening very shortly after the text that we read, where we know that Jesus will hang on the cross for us, suspended between heaven and earth, and paying the price for our sins... And then shortly afterwards, defeating death in the resurrection. Amen. And I'm glad for that. I know we're a couple of weeks later than Easter, but that's okay. We're not governed by that calendar. And so the purpose of the incarnation, the purpose of the incarnation is to pay the price for sin. That there would be an acceptable sacrifice that could pay a price for each and every one of us. Because none of us have the capacity to pay that on our own he was also robed in flesh to defeat death and the grave and in doing so to bridge the gap between a holy god and his sinful creation to be the mediator the one that is able to bring together to be the daysman of the book of job to be the door to be the way to be the truth and to be the life all things that jesus claimed to be in fact In John 10 and 9, Jesus said, I am the door. He did not say, I am a door. He said, I am the door. And he said, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And so although the physical events of Calvary and the resurrection took place, as far as we're able to work out, a little over 2,000 years ago, it is still effective for us today. Now that's incredible in itself, that something that happened in the natural realm, at least some of it was natural, 2,000 years ago is still effective. Or those of you that like big words, it's efficacious for us today. It still is able to achieve its purpose just as powerfully right now as it did in the first century. That alone is a statement of the God that we serve. You see, we are drawn to God through the Incarnation. 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 says, To wit or to know that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. That He was... That manifest... The purpose of that manifestation was that God would draw humanity to Himself. It was His vehicle, if you like. It was the mode that He chose that's the purpose of one of the purposes of the incarnation we know that we are able to be saved through the incarnation we have access to the presence and power of god through the incarnation through god being manifest in the flesh and the salvation that was achieved through the incarnation if you don't remember any word when you go this morning you'll remember incarnation you won't be able to forget it by the time i'm done But the salvation that was achieved and provided to us through the Incarnation is still continually effective in our lives today. Amen. It is continually effective. It's important we understand that because many of us can look back to a point and a place in time in our past where we can say, that's when I repented of my sins for the first time. That's when I was baptized in Jesus' name and had those sins washed away. And that's when I was filled with the Holy Ghost. And all of that is made possible via the incarnation. But that's, I mean, even if, even if you were born again last week, that's past tense. But the effectiveness of the incarnation is still present tense, even if you were born again many years ago. Amen. You need it in the present tense. John wrote in his first epistle, and he said, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. John said, We have an advocate. He did not say we had an advocate. It's present tense. It's something that even though I was baptized 30-odd years ago, he is my advocate today. April 22nd, I think it is, 2018, he is still my advocate today. Even though I first repented many years ago and have practiced that repenting many times since, he is still my advocate. Amen. John said, don't sin that's what he was saying he said these things i write unto you that you sin not he said don't sin he said but if you do sin he said we have an advocate we have a mediator we have a representative we have somebody working on our behalf amen so the salvation that came through the incarnation was effective when you and i first responded to the gospel but it is still effective right now and a A reasonably significant part of my responsibility as a pastor is to tell you the same things that John said. Don't sin. But if you do, we still have an advocate. We still have somebody in the present tense. We have an avenue where we can find forgiveness. Amen. Now, I I could probably spend three or four weeks just on this lesson, but I want to move on to prayer in a little while. But Jesus is spoken of in the Scripture in several places as being on the right hand of god sometimes it says he was sitting there sometimes it said he was standing there you can look into all of what that may mean at another time but this expression that jesus is on the right hand of god has been misused by some to portray a young man next to an old man on a throne so jesus is the the image that some people have in their minds is that there's this old father time like figure that they think represents God with a big old hipster beard down to his belly button and a young man on the right hand side but the problem with that is that God is not an old man on a throne but he is an omnipresent or everywhere at once spirit who not only doesn't have a right hand he doesn't even have a right hand side so the language is telling us something greater than simply there's the left and there's the right because we know that it is an expression that communicates a position of power and authority the psalmist said in the old testament psalm 98 and 1 he said oh sing unto the lord a new song for he has done marvelous things his right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory that's not a statement that god has one strong hand and one weak hand or one holy arm and one not so holy arm but it's an expression of god's power and god's glory he's not imbalanced in the left and right hand side but when it speaks of his right hand and his holy arm it's talking about the power and the demonstration of that power of the lord and so when it speaks about jesus after he has ascended into heaven being on the right hand of god it is an image that is communicated to us that declares power and authority now many of you understand that but it's not only talking about that he possesses that power and authority but because it's speaking about him being in the right hand of god it's speaking of the fact that that power and authority Is available to transform our lives Because of the incarnation That's why it acknowledges that he is there In that position Because he was incarnate To provide salvation for us So it's not an image that is given to us to communicate a younger man and an older man but it's an image that's given to us to tell us that because he died and rose again from the dead and is in that position that role that he fills that mediator that incarnate representative has the power and authority to transform our lives that he is still that door that if we will come to him that power and authority is His to release into our lives through what He achieved in the Incarnation. Amen. Amen. There was never, or at least not in my mind, any doubt that God has all power and authority. You read the Old Testament, God very clearly declares that He is God alone, that there's none beside Him, that there's none like Him, that He's jealous, that He is one, that He is the only wise god amen but jesus declared in matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 he said all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth now does that mean is that a statement telling us that jesus was given the power of god and that now therefore god is powerless it's not a transition between two different people it's a transition the 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 image that's being communicated to us is that because he was expressed in flesh manifest to be our savior the incarnation that power comes through that expression to us that we might be saved god always had all power and authority he didn't have to go looking for it But when he robed himself in flesh, he said, I'm using that vehicle, I'm expressing that power and that authority in a redemptive sense. Or in other words, to make it possible to take our sins away, that we might be saved, that we might be born again. Amen. That's what it's talking about. Amen. It's interesting to note, and if you like to study the scripture, and if you don't, I'd encourage you to change that point of view. It's interesting to note that in the book of Revelation, when everything is wrapping up and the church age comes to a close, and I'm not getting off track into a prophecy discussion this morning, but we, I think everybody agrees that the book of Revelation is, is the closing chapters of time as we know it. Amen. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is not the right hand of God is spoken about, but Jesus is not spoken about at being on the right hand of God anymore because the work that he came to do via the incarnation is finished it's not there anymore that role no longer exists that's why we understand that we have to respond to the gospel now in this life because there will come a time when that opportunity will cease to be available now you might say oh that's just fear tactics no that's just bible you can take it or leave it but that's what the word of god says and so in the interim period in the interim he is still represented as being in that place of power and authority as our mediator the incarnation god in flesh amen right now though fortunately and i thank god for that right now that power and that authority is still active and still effective for us today turn to romans chapter 8 with me let's read a bit of scripture together keep you awake There are some things in this lesson I may just state and not necessarily explain thoroughly. If you want me to do that a little more thoroughly, please come and see me. For the sake of staying on track, I'm trying not to go down rabbit holes. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. says, Who is he that condemneth? A lot of modern translations say, Who can condemn us? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, if we're going to read that verse and suggest that there are two different people in that picture, that God is, that Jesus is here and God is here and Jesus is making intersection, intercession for us, not an intersection, but intercession for us, then the picture that some people would try to understand that boy is that Jesus is sitting next to God and every time you and I sin, that he has to negotiate some sort of deal. That, you know, that every time, you know, you know, I don't think there are days and stuff in heaven, but just for the sake of our understanding, every morning Jesus comes into the office with a clipboard and the Lord says, okay, what are we dealing with today? And Jesus says, okay, I've got Brother Miles is down here for a, a violation. And the Lord says, what's he done this time? Oh, it's a 137A. A 137A again? How many times do we have to deal with that? Oh, and they, they work it out and Jesus pays the price and, and he goes through that list and, oh, oh so, uh, brother Rowan, what's he done? Oh, he's, uh, you know, that's not the picture. But the picture that's been communicated when it says that Christ died and rose again and is at the right hand of God making intercession for us means that the purpose of the incarnation is still active and effective. He's not in some ongoing eternal negotiation with God the Father, but rather what He came to do still works now. So that when I make a mistake, I can come to Him, I can confess my sin, I can repent, and the function of the incarnation and the death, burial, and resurrection is still happening and it's still operational. otherwise jesus has this eternal job description of constantly negotiating for sinful humanity but he did it once the bible says he died once and made it possible and that door that he said he was he opened for humanity and as long as we are in what sometimes we call the church age, we have the opportunity to respond to the gospel, he's still functioning as that intercessor. Not two different people, but the power and the authority that he made possible is still available to us. Amen. Bless the Lord, it's showing us that what was achieved through the incarnation, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ is still active and effective right now thank God that it is I thank God that when I go to him forgiveness is still there that like John said my little children I write these things that you sin not but if you sin we have an advocate we have somebody who can take care of that amen it's in the present tense it's still happening we undervalue I think sometimes what was accomplished through the incarnation and we only reduce it to saying when we were born again. Amen. We'll get on to that a little bit more in a moment. Amen. We often say that the gospel, in a, I guess in a simple term, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge what that did accomplish. We do. And the provision of the gospel, or it becoming available to us, was through that death, burial, and resurrection. And our part in that Our ability to accept, to apprehend, to take hold of the gospel comes when by faith we are born again of the water and the Spirit. That's how we take a hold of what was made available to us. And as many of you know, there's a beautiful pattern in that because Jesus died, He was buried, and He rose again. And the new birth includes the components of repentance, which is dying out to our old life, which is saying, I know I'm a sinner, I know I'm dead in my sins, and turning away from those things being buried with him in baptism the bible says and when we receive the holy ghost there's that new life that matches up with him being resurrected from the dead there's that wonderful parallel that is there and in the coming lessons we'll probably break that down a little bit more but when we obey the gospel by faith and we're born again through our own death burial and resurrection again the type thereof it brings us into a relationship with god this is important because it makes... The Bible calls us that when we... It says in Romans 8, I believe it is, that when we are filled with the Spirit, it is the Spirit of adoption. And that Spirit causes us to recognize our Heavenly Father. We become His children. Another place, I think, in Corinthians, it says that when we separate ourselves from ungodliness and sinfulness, He will receive us, He will be our Father and we will be His children. That's God's desire. To have relationship with His humanity. And so when we come into that relationship, it opens a means of communication with God that we previously did not have. You ever, ever stayed in a hotel or a motel somewhere and in the middle of the lounge room, there's, an, there's another door that's locked? You ever stayed in a hotel like that? And if you're a kid, when I was a kid, you go, I wonder where this door goes. You know, It's locked, so therefore there must be something really exciting on the other side of that door. But if you ever, in some hotels, if you manage to get that door open, what's behind it? Another door. And it's locked as well, which is really discouraging. But what is that set up is so that if you want to, if you want to book both hotel rooms, you can open both doors and turn that into a joint situation. Parents in one side maybe, kids in the other, grandparents, grandkids, whatever your configuration is. But for that to happen, both doors have to be opened. This is what happens when we become His children. Revelation says, and I, I think Sister Emma preached about it last Sunday night, Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. You see, when He was incarnate, when He was manifest in flesh, He opened the door on His side. And He said, if you have faith, you can put your hand on the door handle on the other side and open the other side. He said, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And he said, we will sup together. We will fellowship together. He said, I'm standing here knocking. If you're open, we will have relationship. Amen. I believe, I do believe, just to clarify, that when people cry out to God before they are born again, He hears their prayers. I do believe that. I mean, all of us cried out to Him at some point for the first time. He does hear our prayers, but it's not in the same way as when you enter into a relationship with god that changes what happens in that communication and in that relationship amen and because of the incarnation there's that word again because of the incarnation and hebrews will help you to understand some of this if you read it we are his brethren in the flesh hebrews says he's not ashamed to call us his brethren what that means was we it doesn't mean that you know we have christmas together and stuff but it means that we share humanity because of the incarnation we are his brethren in the flesh but we are his children in the spirit we are the sons of god and that's it's not masculine ladies so don't get upset i'm happy you know as i've often said if the ladies are happy to be the sons of god we men should be happy to be in the bride of christ that should be okay you get these feminists that like to take all the masculine references out of the scripture and their reference to god but they have no problem leaving there in their references to the devil. That's another subject altogether. Amen. how to get on to that? Bless the Lord. So because of the incarnation, we are His brethren in humanity and His children in the Spirit. Something awesome that is also a part of the incarnation or God becoming flesh is that it gives us a high priest. Now this is important. From the Old Testament, because a high priest not only acts on our behalf but he also shares in our human experiences and is touched or he's affected by the feeling the new king james the king james calls it infirmities we'd better understand as weaknesses so he is affected by our weaknesses because he has shared at least to a point our condition he was never sinful But He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Amen. And so we've got to be careful, as I mentioned before, that we don't make the mistake of thinking that this parallel, the death, burial, and resurrection, is only applicable to when we're born again. Because it's not. It's applicable in an ongoing relationship with our Lord. Amen. And as long as we are in these flawed bodies, with this flawed nature... The access that He provided through the Incarnation is something that we need every single day. Him being in the place of power and authority as my mediator, as my advocate, I need that every single day, not just when I was born again. Amen. And until we go to be with Jesus, and that is our hope this morning, and until, as 1 Corinthians 15 puts it, this mortal puts on immortality and this corruptible puts on incorruption, we are still going to need a high priest. We're still going to need somebody that we can go to. Amen. So what was and what still is provided by the incarnation of Jesus Christ applies not only to our being born again, but also to our praying this is where we want to get to and this is where we'll finish up shortly amen and then we'll get back into it in a week or so amen you see once we understand that when we are praying to jesus you know i get asked questions by people who don't necessarily understand and that's okay that's questions is how we get to understand who to pray to pray to the god father you pray to you know some people are worried that they're leaving somebody out If that troubles you, let me put your mind at rest. When you pray to Jesus, amen, you are praying to God Himself. Not a part of God or some chunk of God, but when we begin to grasp that when we pray in the name of Jesus, that we are communicating directly with the Creator, with the I Am, with the King of Kings. And with the Lord of Lords, when we grasp that, then we need to take a step back and recognize that this is only possible by the incarnation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That relationship was only made possible through His sacrifice for us. Then somebody might ask the question: Well, what about people in the Old, Old Testament? Didn't hear God? Didn't God hear them when they prayed? Yes, He did. In fact, in the book of James, it uses an Old Testament prayer as an example. It talks about Elijah. And if you read the story of Elijah and his confrontation with the prophets of Baal, he didn't pray and fast for days. He just prayed for a verse or two and fire came down from heaven. That's God hearing your prayer. Anybody else started a barbecue that way? Not me. Haven't got enough faith. Still have to use batches. So yes, God did hear their prayers in the Old Testament. But the relationship was not the same. The relationship was not the same because they were still in a time where there was animal sacrifice and their high priest was flawed just like the people he was serving. Their high priest, when you read and study the Old Testament, the high priest had to offer sin for, sorry, had to offer sacrifice for sin for himself before he was able to offer it for the people. And that was God's plan, but it was only an example and a shadow. Because he knew that when he came, he would be sinless. And that there would be no need for him to have a sacrifice for sin, but rather he would become the sacrifice for sin. Wow. Amen. It was different. I'll give you an understanding of why it was different. In 1 Peter chapter 1, let's read it. 1 Peter chapter 1. These couple of verses blow my mind, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. They ought to make you, when you understand what these couple of verses say, it ought to give you a gratitude and a desire to worship God. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 says, Of which salvation? Talking about our salvation. Of which salvation? First Peter 1 and 10. The prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come to you. Breaking that down into more simple English simply means as God moved upon those Old Testament prophets to write about the things that you and I would experience, not comprehending all of it, but writing it as they were moved by the Spirit of God, it says they inquired and searched diligently. In verse 11 says, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of God which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. They wrote those things but wanted to know more about what it meant. They wrote things that they did not necessarily understand the fullness of. What would it be like for an Old Testament prophet to be there on that day when the church is called home, Old Testament and New Testament, and for them to be able to understand the fulfillment of everything that they wrote? Man, that'll be an experience. Amen. But then in verse 12 it says, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us. Everybody say, That's me. They did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel to you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. So the prophets wrote about the things that you get preached to about on a regular basis wanting to understand how in the world all of that could possibly work. And then just to make it even more amazing, the last part of verse 12 says, which things the angels desire to look into. The heavenly host that lives in his presence and at his throne and at his beck and call, the ministering spirits, even they have a hard time getting their heads, if they've got heads, getting their minds around what it is that we have through calvary amen that ought to make us worship god that the old testament prophets couldn't get it the angels can't work it out but we have it hallelujah and what jesus achieved by coming in flesh and dying for us the relationship that you and i can have right now is something the prophets couldn't grasp and neither could the angels. So when you and I come to pray, I hope we understand who it is we're praying to. I hope we understand what was achieved through the incarnation. We worship Him because of our salvation and so we should. But don't undervalue what was achieved when He robed Himself in flesh because it affects me right now when I come to pray. It affects you when you set aside that time and you get yourself by yourself with the Lord and you're able to come into His presence. The incarnation, what was achieved there, is still functioning. That power and that authority, the right hand of God, is operating. It's, it's still it's working, it's doing what it was purposed to do. And when we say in Jesus' name, when we pray in Jesus' name, we are confessing the identity of the one that Paul said to Timothy, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He wasn't talking about somebody else, but he was talking about Jesus Christ. And he said, Timothy, He's the one that gets the praise and the glory. Amen. And when we try to use our words to express His majesty, His wonder and His glory. Even the most eloquent and articulate speakers in the world can't even come close to describing it. But because of the incarnation, because He came, our God, the one that we pray to, the Creator, the I Am, the only wise God, and all of those things, is able to relate to us to have mercy and compassion upon us because He has been with us. That's the power of the Incarnation. Not just the salvation of your soul. But right now, when I go to Him in prayer and I'm struggling and I'm having a He understands. Because He's not afar off. But He walked where we walk. Maybe not literally in our nation, but in our humanity. He experienced what we experienced amen we're going to address some more practical aspects of prayer in the coming lessons, but I wanted to just lay a foundation of understanding this morning that what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection by being made a little lower by coming in the form of a servant and making himself of no reputation, what he accomplished it's not just about my i mean our salvation is incredible to be saved from our sins and have a promise of heaven is an amazing thing and worth everything we have but more than that right now today when we're in this place what you feel in this house is because of the incarnation it's because he came and walked among us and dwelt with us and it is still working on our behalf amen Amen, Sister Veronica, if you want to go and get your little girl, my wife, if you want to get ready, we'll baptize them shortly. The psalmist said this, coming to a close. Psalm 16 and 11. You've got to remember a lot of the Old Testament when they wrote stuff, they experienced some of it, but some of it was prophetic. He said, thou wilt show me the path of life. He said, in thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. I don't think David understood really what he was saying when he wrote those words because the scripture would describe Jesus as both the root and the offspring. That's where David's family came from and he came from David's family. He is the manifestation of God in flesh, that demonstration of the right hand, the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand with me if you would this morning.